All right, everybody, and welcome to you this morning. We'll be in John chapter 11, first 16 verses. And I think in a perfect scenario, we would treat this entire uh, section of the text as one sermon because it is kind of one story. But because of our setting this morning and being outside, and I don't want you to bake in the heat and so on and so forth, we're only going to look at the first 16 verses. Um, and I think you will see once we jump into it that there's actually plenty of us for uh, uh, plenty of for us to chew on rather uh, right here in these verses. So let me read it and we'll get to it. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. <coughs> so the sisters went to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, a couple things to unpack about this. This is a family that Jesus was historically close to. Uh, we know them from the, quote, story of Mary and Martha. You know that Martha is a doer. She likes to run around, probably a gift of service kind of person, and uh, was, was involved in all that. And Mary is kind of the opposite, like to <coughs> sit at Jesus' feet, worship him, so on and so forth. Lazarus, we don't know a great deal about, other than he's probably their little brother. Doesn't seem to have many responsibilities in the family. But he has gotten very sick, and we know from what's going to happen in just a little bit <coughs> that he is actually going to die. But what's interesting is how Jesus describes this. Look at verse 4. It says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be magnified through it. So, two principles from that. One is more minor, the second is more major. The first one being that Jesus always knows things that we don't. Jesus always knows things that we don't. And that would make sense because Jesus is God. <coughs> this is the kind of truth that when we find ourselves in our own Lazarus is sick kind of situation, it's easy to forget. But it's very important to remember. Now, the second principle, and this is, I think, probably the, the big idea, if you will, in this section of the passage, and that is that Jesus' perspective is often very different than ours. Jesus' perspective is often very different than ours, and that is of profound importance because it's going to explain why Jesus does what he does in the next couple of verses and also what he, why he says what he says and how he responds throughout the passage. Look at verse 5. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now that is almost the opposite of what you would think it would say, right? <coughs> you would think it would say, He loved them. He heard he was sick. So he went and grabbed a horse and rode away with great haste. And this says the exact opposite. He loved them, he already knew he was ill, and then he stayed two more days. <clears throat> and I think part of the key to understanding what is happening here is the perspective difference that is available to us in this passage and is also true in the way that we live. There's always the ground level perspective. Lazarus is sick, Lazarus is dying, Jesus come quick. That's the ground level perspective with which all of us live but then there's the divine perspective where Jesus knows things that we don't. 
He sees things differently than we see him, them, and then he behaves in a way that's consistent with his view. But there's something very interesting here within the specific Greek words that are used. When Mary and Martha said, <coughs> the one you love, it's the friendship type of love. But when, we, when Jesus, uh, when John talks about how Jesus loved Mary and Martha, it's the agape love. It is the never stopping, never giving up, God type love toward his people. So if we look at Jesus' behavior and goes and just think to ourselves, he's lost the plot, he doesn't really love them, he's being cruel to them, you go back to that word and you see that that is false. And here's the thing, people. This is something that all of us wrestle with. Every single one of us in our lives have encountered, are encountering, or will encounter Lazarus is sick, Jesus do something kind of moments. And part of what we've got to do in those moments is we've got to continue to tell ourselves the truth and let that truth shape our feelings, shape our thoughts, shape our responses, as opposed to letting our emotions get the best of us and cause us to believe things about God that are just not true to respond in ways that are sinful and unhelpful and get ourselves into all types of trouble. But this is a struggle. This encounter that they are having here, this is a battlefield kind of moment for them. Now we'll talk a little bit more next week about how they respond and that kind of thing. But what I really want to focus in on here to try to help us is how do we do this? How do we move in a direction that when Lazarus is sick and dying comes upon us, that we respond in a godly way? And I want to give us just a few practical things. I would not consider this to be an exhaustive treatment on this matter, but these are the kinds of things that have helped me and that I think can help you. The first one, practically, and how to live out the right response in this type of situation is to just know that bad things are going to happen in a fallen world. To know that bad things are going to happen in a fallen world. And that's very helpful to me because sometimes we get into situations and it's almost like we're shocked and aghast that something went poorly. That somebody lied to us. That somebody did something that they shouldn't. That we ourselves sinned in some horrible way. And if we just know, hey, this is a fallen world. I've got enemies against me, the world, the flesh, and the devil. <coughs> that puts us on better footing to be able to respond <coughs> in the way that we should. The second thing to think about is to recognize that we will never understand everything that God is up to in any given situation. Scripture that helps me here is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heaven, or for for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher and your way than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what that is telling us here is that there are these two perspectives. There is the ground level, and there is the divine perspective. And Jesus is always going to see and know and behave in ways that are consistent with that, and that will naturally leave us with some questions. Because if we knew all that, who would we be? We would be God. 
and that position is already filled. So we have to embrace this tension and the fact that we're going to have some questions when Jesus does what he does. Now, one metaphor that I've used throughout this book and will continue to use is that when it comes to thinking about this as a game, we are playing checkers in this life and God is playing master level chess. We're playing checkers, we see what we see, but God is operating on an entire different plane and level and orchestrating a plan that we are part of, but it is far beyond us. Now that leads me to the third thing here, and that is that we need to be very careful with our feelings when we find ourselves in these situations. Now let me front load this and say, I'm not saying at all that the feelings don't matter, that the feelings aren't real, that you should just push them down and don't feel them. It's not, that's not going to help. That just basically turns us into some type of ticking time bomb because eventually those feelings are going to make their way out, either in <coughs> crying uh, out of control or some type of violence or something. So we need to experience the feelings and channel them in a Godward direction, and the Holy Spirit will help us do that. But our feelings cannot be final because they are fallible. And I bet if we were here to survey, and we find a little bit more about their response next week, but if they had known at this moment that Jesus purposely waited two more days, they would have been furious with him. They would have felt betrayed by him. They would have felt like Jesus did not love them at all. <coughs> but what is it that verses 5 and 6 tell us? That Jesus did indeed love them. He loved them deeply. I like what the ESV Study Bible has to say about this. It said, God allowed his friends to go through the sorrow and hardship of the death and mourning of Lazarus because he loved them and because he wanted them to witness an amazing demonstration of Jesus' power over death. He wanted them to see <coughs> Jesus' glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father. But in that tension, we need to deploy these types of practices that will help remind us <coughs> that God does indeed love us and that he's for us and that he will help us in every possible way. Let me give you a couple other practical things here that would help <coughs> as well. And the next one being to just continually immerse yourselves in the scripture. If you listen to the messages of the world, you will constantly question all kinds of things about God and the Bible. If you let your circumstances alone determine how you feel and how God feels about you, you will continually be disappointed and continually question the love of God toward you. You'll question the sovereignty of God. You'll question the goodness of God. And I know this both pastorally and personally, because there have been times and things that have happened to me in my life that put me in a place where if I am not paying attention, I fall into that trap just like anybody else. Some days when it, the, the, thoughts can, the thoughts can get so dark that I even wonder if I'm even a Christian sometimes. That's what feelings will do to us. But what faith does is it comes along and it reorients us to ultimate reality. 
That's why we have to let the truth shape our emotions, shape our responses, and not the other way around. So the feelings are real, but they can't be final because they are fallible. So let's hit the pause button there for just a second. And let's ask some introspective, difficult questions. When we find ourselves in a Lazarus is sick and dying, Jesus come quick kind of situation. And when Jesus doesn't show up and do what we think he should do, where do we see opportunity for growth in our response? Where do we see our feelings can be bolstered? Where do we see we need some help in this area? Friends, as the Holy Spirit illumines that to us, let's be wise. Let's seek the help that we need both within and beyond the church. Let's immerse ourselves in the Scripture. Let's stay in community. And let's pray that we would have the faith to trust in the sovereignty of God and in the goodness and in the love of God. And let me give you one last encouragement on this point before we move on to the last little bit of this passage. This is where applying the gospel can be particularly helpful. Because you talk about a situation that doesn't look like it makes any sense. You think about the last week of Jesus' life. Exaltation, worshiping him. Jesus is the greatest thing at the front of the week. And by the end, he is murdered unjustly. If there was ever a situation where it looks like God had lost control, that God didn't care, it is Passion Week. And yet in the midst of that, the greatest miracle of all miracles came out of the most horrible situation. God shows his love for and his vindication of Jesus by bringing him back to life. So in those moments when you question and you feel overwhelmed like we all do, if you can't see anything else, look to Mount Calvary and the empty tomb. Because within the power of the gospel, we see how it all comes together. We see the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God, and the love of God displayed. And within that, we will find help and hope, and the Spirit will help us to carry on. Now, let's look at a little bit of the rest of this passage here. Not as much in this part, but it kind of sets us up for next week, so we need to talk about it. Verse 7, then after this, so this is after him saying basically, we're going to chill here while this is going down. He said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. That means to throw large rocks at him until he is dead. And are you going there again? (coughs) So they are asking a very legitimate question. They are saying, are you sure you want to do this? You know what happened the last time we were there. And then Jesus, consistent with what he does at the beginning of the passage, he answers their question in a way that is unexpected. He goes full metaphor here. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light 
is not in him. And so basically what he's saying in modern vernacular is, I got this under control. I am the light of the world. <coughs> I am with you. My time has not yet come. Nothing is going to happen to derail what I'm doing in this world to accomplish redemption. And we're good. And after that, <coughs> verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. And again, this is that different perspective that we just talked about. Because what do they know? Jesus is dead. And now here's, he's talking about death as if it were sleep. Now, some of you who have younger children, you know that sometimes waking up your kids from a nap feels like they might as well be dead and you can't dynamite them out. But what Jesus is equating here is, it's just as easy for him to wake up someone from death than it is to wake up someone from sleep. That's how powerful he is. That's how strong he is. That's how equipped he is to handle this task. Again, that is a completely different perspective. And that's what he says, I go to awaken him. But the disciples said to him, trying to process all this and put the pieces together, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus lets the cat out of the bag here, makes it very clear. He told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And watch this. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So you talk about a difference in perspective. This really caps it off. That he's saying, not only did I delay, but I've allowed him to full on die because there's something I want you to see. And we find out next week, and we'll unpack this, that the real point of this is for Jesus to reveal his power over death itself. That he is the resurrection and the life. And if he'd just gone over and healed Lazarus like he had done so many other times, that wouldn't have been the lesson that would have emerged. But because he waited and let him die, now it's a completely different revelation of his power. Now it's a completely different story of the glory of God. And in that gap, we got to trust him. We got to trust him in the midst of horrible, awful, unexplainable on the human end of things situations. We got to trust him in the midst of bad financial news, bad health news, bad news of any kind. Because it just might be that in the midst of whatever is going on, Jesus wants to tell a different story of his glory than the one we had hoped for. But we got to trust him. And that's hard. And I think that's actually what you see right here in verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And it's interesting how uh, different commentators treat Thomas. This is doubting Thomas, right? Part of that comes from this exchange, but also what happens uh, after Jesus' resurrection and he wants to see and feel and so on. But in some ways... 
I wonder if Thomas kind of gets a bad rap because I think it, 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 had we known what they knew from simply a human perspective, I'm not sure that we would have said anything very differently. So one commentator pointed out that maybe he should be called Logical Thomas but that because that's how he responded. But we do have to be honest, for anybody that knows about Winnie the Pooh, this is a little bit of an Eeyore kind of moment. Because what he's actually saying there, and you can almost hear this, is he's saying, well, we might as well go and die with him because that's what's going to happen. Put on your death clothes, off we go. But you can't wait to see what's going to happen next week. Whether you can wait or not, you don't know this. You can't wait to see what's going to happen next week, but you're going to have to come back or you can read ahead and pretend I'm talking to you about it. But it is amazing. And what I think is also interesting here as well is Thomas's doubt, his questioning, it didn't derail what Jesus was going to do. Jesus didn't go, Thomas, you know, you're right. Maybe we should just shut the whole thing down. This is risky. He just persevered. So can I give you some good gospel news out of that as well? Your doubt, your questions, your struggle, your wondering if God's going to come through or not, what's going on, that's not going to derail what God is up to. He is bigger than our questions. He is stronger than our doubt. His love can make its way to us through any kind of hole that we find ourselves in, even if it's self-inflicted. Jesus is not going to give up on you, friends. He is not going to let you down. And if you ever are tempted to wonder if that's true, look at Mount Calvary. Read the Old Testament. Ladies are about to jump into the book of Judges. You wonder where God was during that? Stay till the end. There are times in life when we find ourselves in this Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. Where is Jesus? And it might just be that God's telling a different story of his glory. So let me end this message by encouraging you in the ways that I already have. There is a good opportunity for us here to take a step back and to think about our own perspective. There's a good opportunity for us here to step back and think about our feelings and whether or not they are truly driving the bus in our lives. There's a good opportunity here for us to wrestle with the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, and the love of God. But the greatest opportunity that's here is to glorify and magnify and marvel at the Jesus that is this much in charge. That is this much on it. And that loves his people this much that he would even allow something awful to happen so that something greater might happen. Friends, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus is that strong. Only Jesus is that loving. And I want to commend him to you again today. I want to remind you of his greatness and glory again today. And in just a moment, when we take the table, I want you to experience it again today. 
to be reminded that the bread that's in there represents the body of Jesus that was broken for you. The juice that's in there represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. And that if you ever wonder if he loves you, you just think about what that represents.